something in my vocabulary and, it, and it's something that I don't want to have in my vocabulary, but you know how there's just these colloquial or common statements that we use uh, when somebody's acting some kind of way and we call them crazy. Can we just get that out of our vocabulary? Because you are not a doctor <laughs> and you do not need to be given the, that diagnosis to folks. God's telling me I need to quit giving folks that diagnosis. And the next time I say crazy, it'll be because somebody's got crazy faith or crazy love or, or, or crazy giftings or they're crazy good or something to that effect because that's uh, just something that's just gotta, it's gotta go. What I'm finding is in this season is God's moving us into revival. And if you hadn't seen the prophetic word that Pastor John Kilpatrick said over our state at Russellville first, he went to Russellville but then talked, bragged about hot springs. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I said, well, I've been saying it, but maybe if somebody else says it, people start believing it. But revival's coming to the city. And as we're stirring it, I'm noticing that God's speaking to me in whispers of little nuances that would things that I wouldn't think are that big of a deal, he'll, he'll, he'll just prod me and see if I'll listen and see if I'll respond. And it's been in like little things where like, y'all can sit down if y'all need to, because uh, I'm about to preach. I mean, you can stand up, but I'm still going to preach. So. Uh, but it's little things like I'll about to be, shoot somebody a text. That, you ever send one of them texts that got a little latitude in there? And the Holy Ghost will just go, Delete. Or it'll be a post. It won't even be anything bad. It'll just be something that's funny but could be interpreted the wrong way. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit will just, that's not where I'm taking you. <laughs> because my spiritual father, Tommy Tenney, said this. He said, the higher up the mountain you go, the more people can see your rear end. So the higher up we go, guys, the more careful we're going to have to be. We're going to have to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost nudge. Because if we're faithful in the small nudge, He'll give us the big nudge. So we're learning what it is to steward this. And I just want to say this. I've been connecting with pastors all over the nation. Um... I'm not going to go into great detail with it because I preach long anyway, and if I go off the course here, it could be, y'all could be here all day. Um, that's when you're supposed to say, oh, come on, pastor, come on, man, give it to us, give it to us, come on, come on, yeah, yeah, oh, okay, okay, then I'll go ahead and tell you the whole story. No, um, but God just did some really neat things and, and connected me with different people, and just, it's just something that God's been doing, but every time I'm connecting with someone, they, they jump on our on our live stream or, or Facebook or YouTube or whatever. And every time they jump on, they never ever talk about myself or the worship. Do you know what they say every time? They say the energy in that room and the people there. And that's what they want to know about. They always want to know about y'all. And I'm like, what am I over here? You know, I'm preaching some good sermons. Got some good material. 
but I want you guys to understand that this ain't about us building a platform for me to get some kind of whatever. That we're all in this together. I might be more visible, but people are asking about what's going on in your heart and how you're connecting and the energy that you're bringing to the room and, the, and how you're praying it down. There's people in here, 15, 20 people setting the atmosphere before I even get my trash thrown in the dumpster out there. I'm just telling you. So I want you guys to understand something. I want you just to give yourself a hand clap in God and just say, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for being you. Because each one of you guys are solutionaries. <laughs> you guys are solutions to problems. At a friend that uh, he had got promoted to a management position and they moved him to another state. And so we had this, you know, exciting time. I was like, yeah, man, that's awesome. You got promoted and this, that, and the other. And he got there and he was like, this place is in shambles. So he calls his manager that sent him there, his regional manager, and said, hey, man, this place is terrible. And he said, why do you think I sent you there? <laughs> See, you're not just walking around like some kind of uh, whatever. You're an answer to a problem. You are a solution. See, I think we've done the people of God a disservice because we've been so busy telling them that they're the problem that the church has actually believed that they're the problem. And we've created doctrines about how totally depraved we are and we forgot that we carry the ark of God on the inside of us. We carry the presence of God on the inside of us. We are the ones that will finish the great commission of God. God didn't say, you guys step to the side because y'all are so pitiful. And I'm going to go and preach the gospel in all the world. He said, I got a gang of angels that can handle this because y'all are too pitiful. No, he saw our weakness in frame and says, this is where I put my treasure. It's in earthen vessels. And if treasure can come out of an earthen vessel, it won't be about the pot. It'll be about the glory that's on the inside. That God sees you as a solution. If you can receive it. So if you're a solution, where's the first place he's going to put you? In a problem. Hmm. But we get so sideways about the problem that we forget we're the solution and we become part of the problem because we start complaining. <laughs> and when I'm complaining, guess what? I rob myself of the opportunity to solve the problem. That I actually let the evil of the problem come in me and agree with the devil's report of that thing and my complaint becomes glorifying the devil instead of giving God the glory that he deserves. That's why I cut the news off, man. Get so mad you want to throw something through the TV. The news cycle ain't going to determine my happiness. Because I'm going with God no matter what, who does what or who says what. I ain't worried about all that. I'll go to jail for this gospel. 
I made my mind up a long time ago. And some of you need to make your mind up before the problem gets here that you're the solution. Tell people, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He died in a garden. When he said, God, not my will, but your will. See, we don't die in the garden, so when we get to the cross, that's why we always run tucked tail and afraid. If you'll die in the garden, you already made your mind up you're going to the cross. I better get in this. So this is replete in the scriptures. This is what Paul said. Paul didn't say, imitate Christ and don't look at me. If you look at me, man, you're going to fail. Paul, in a humble spirit, says, imitate me as I Imitate Christ. That you are the solution. You're not the problem. And your duty is to imitate him. And guess what? He'll give you the grace to do it. And it won't be perfect. It won't always look right. But it's an invitation. Security removed this man from our sanctuary. <laughs> Am I that boring? You got to get on YouTube, man. God bless. <sighs> oh. oh, it's me on the live stream. That's cool. Uh, then carry on, my friends. Carry on, good sir. We salute you for your faithfulness. Uh, what are we talking about? Uh, Paul, imitate. Yes, okay, whatever. Let's just, we lost it. Let's just go. That God would have us to see ourselves as a solution. So you can't get in agreement with the problem. You've got to go into the problem knowing there's something on the inside of me that's an answer. To whatever I'm in. Because here's the problem. If, if you're always changing your surroundings. Isn't it funny how those problems just keep following you? It's kind of like when I used to drink and I tried to drown my sorrows. Those sorrows are good swimmers. They seem to always float back to the top. Let's change our mindsets and realize that the problem is a setup from God for him to show out through his grace and through his power so that we could display the radiance and the glory of God. There's a scripture that says, can a nation be saved in a day? The Bible's always asking us questions to see what our answers will be. See, that question isn't for you to reply no. <laughs> that question is an invitation for you to step into the impossible of God and to agree and say, God, if you're in it, a nation can be saved in a day. 
And it's that kind of faith that will keep you in the pit and in the prison where we find Joseph is at. That there is a, uh, a blessing of realizing that it's not the situations that changes God's opinion and gaze upon you. That because you went through a tough time doesn't mean God doesn't love you or he's not for you. He's right there with you and he's looking upon you. But what the problem wants to do, let me get some help. Zach, come here. Josh, don't you get too comfortable over there. Anybody else laugh, I'll grab you too. Come on, man, what is this? All right, you're, you're going to be the Lord, All right. and you're going to be problems, okay? So the Lord is always looking at you, and this is, this is not prophetic. We're not speaking that over here. All right, and so this is distractions and problems. So all these distractions and problems want to keep me from looking at him. And so what I've got to learn to do when I'm being distracted. Now, you've got to do better okay. than that. You're the, you're the devil here, man. Okay. And you've got, I mean, and I've got to learn from every angle what it is to see the face of God and to see through the devil and through the problems to get my eyes on the face of God. Because if I can see the face of God, I know the plan and I'll know his countenance over my life. I'll know what, what I should look like, how my face should be. But I've got to get good at learning what it is to not get into the distraction. Because if I get into the distraction, it won't be long that I'll start agreeing with the devil's report on my life and then the problem gets a hold of me so much that I forget even God's even with me anymore and I'll allow the problem to drive me from God. So, so what we have to do is we have to realize that God's gaze is always on us. It's just from the angle that I'm at, I can't see him right now, okay? So I've got to get creative and create a pursuit in me that overcomes obstacles and problems and positions me to always look at the face of God. So, so I'm learning. I'm learning what it is to do that. Because how many of you know, man, you'll be having a good day and somebody will get sideways with you. They'll get crazy on you. Somebody will cut you off while you're driving. And if you're not careful, you'll forget what God's face looks like. Because there's something about when Moses went up to the mountain and had a talk with God, he came down looking like God. That the blessing of God that was pronounced over the people of God in the Levitical blessing was that may the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. <laughs> that that word shine in the original language means smile. That when you're smiling, you're shining. But the only way I can see that is I've got to keep my eyes on the one who's already looking at me. And that's the beautiful thing is, is that he's already looking at me. 
I don't have to earn and dance to get his attention. I will have to change my angles and my perspectives and my patterns at times. But I never have to worry about if God is looking at me or not. His gaze is always focused on me. That my duty isn't to get God's attention. My duty is to find how to see God's face through adversity and problems and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm learning to navigate life the way Joseph did. Of when he's in a pit and these distractions are, stay up there, devil. <laughs> devil is a lie. So when I'm in a pit and I'm being oppressed, I got to get creative. And, and I got I to gotta find God's face. If I don't find God's face, I'm in trouble. Because the problem's got me down. When I, get in, when I get in prison and they put me in a cell, I gotta get creative and I gotta, I gotta find God's face. Because if I can find God's face, I'll know what my face is supposed to look like. And I'll be able to overcome. So that's what Joseph was constantly doing. He'd gotten the dream from God, and that dream he interpreted as God's smile that was going to come to pass in his life. And no matter what the enemy tried to do to muck it up, and I want to say this, no matter what you try to do to muck it up, I'm going to tell you something. God's plan is still going forward. God isn't on plan B, okay? He's, he's not on plan B with your life. And it doesn't matter what it is. You just have to learn how to get creative to keep finding God's face to keep finding out his gaze. I love what Hagar said when Hagar was, was run off. And here she is a slave, and she's running off with her child, doesn't know where to go, and she's out in the middle of the desert, and God finds her. And she says, names, comes up with this name for the Lord, which is Elroi, which means the God who sees. But the Hebrew is tricky there. It's actually this. I've seen the God who sees me. <laughs> because in the Old Testament, the thought was, is if God looks at you, you're dead. But you know what Jesus reveals to us? If I don't look at God, I'm dead. <laughs> so we're learning what it is to, to keep our gaze on God no matter what the enemy's trying to do to us. Uh, I look down here in the altar and just bragging on our guys. We've got a, a lady who's it's her son's birthday who she lost. And she's up here praising harder than anybody in the whole room. And I just think, what, what, what is going on here? Well, somebody's done found the face of God and seen the smile of God. And, and you just got to say, man, what is, what is going on here? Well, people are getting good at finding God's face. That's what it is. And the more I look at him, the more I'm going to look like him. So Joseph is learning. I'm not going to sit in God's chair, but I am going to stare in his face. And I think the enemy's response that Joseph so wisely avoids is he never tries to get in God's chair. See, we all think we can rule better than God. You ever done that? God, why'd you do this and not do that? Why are you doing this and not doing that? And, and, and God's like, no, that's my chair. I need you just to keep looking at my face. I need you to keep mimicking my image. 
Well, why is it this? Why is that? No, your chair is not the judgment chair. You don't get to judge. You don't get to do any of that. All you got to do is keep looking at my face and letting God, let God just, just sort these things out. But all these things and all these stories and all these, these things that we're finding in the Bible are just further evidences that God is, is still on the throne and that somehow he has a way to work it out. I want you to think about the Bible Joseph had. Joseph had a, his Bible was small. I mean, he's like in chapter 49. <laughs> and he ain't been wrote about yet. <laughs> so all he had was like Abraham and like stories from like, like he didn't have like, don't do this and do that. He had one law, don't eat of the tree. <laughs> that's like, that's his, that's his guiding post here. Let me tell you something, that's enough. Why? Because don't eat of the tree, you'll be like God. It wasn't like there was some God juice in there. It was don't eat of the tree because you're going to try to think you're the judge and can choose what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. And, and, and that's not your chair. So he let that be his guiding principle and said, yeah, it was unjust for me to be in jail. Yeah, it was unjust for me to be thrown in the pit. But that ain't my chair. That my chair is to stare directly in the face of God and keep looking at his countenance where I can look like he looks in the earth. And every time he did that, back to the top. Back to the top. Back to the top. I wonder if that's why David said that I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wonder if that's why he said, behold, this one thing that I seek and this one thing I ask, that I could remain in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty for the rest of my life. God's not Zach's, but you know what I'm saying. But you are good looking, though, I will say. A handsome man, handsome man. So we're learning to navigate... Not manipulate. That it's not a spiritual gift that you can manipulate circumstances to come out in your favor. It's a spiritual gift that you love those trying to manipulate you and keep looking at the face of God until God sorts all that stuff out and you come out on top. And this is what God's called us to do and it's it's not easy it's not perfect but God's called us into the invitation to go right into the heart and the middle of the problem and not get focused on the problem but we get focused on him and his face thank you guys thank y'all thank y'all oh thanks it's these muscles that <laughs> popped a button Sorry. So there's a something here that, how many of you know that your testimony or your reputation will precede you? And Joseph, this would have been in most cases a capital punishment when Joseph was in, or was in, rather was in, uh, was in slavery at Potiphar's house and rose to the top. This would have been capital punishment, but he wasn't killed. It was, and the, some scholars believe is that because Potiphar's wife had a pattern of doing this, that he would have been killed had he given in. <laughs> but there was something there that they knew wasn't right. And so Potiphar goes into prison, or uh, Joseph rather, goes into prison and just, just like every time, just finds favor 
in the prison house and becomes committed over the running of a prison. Which just goes to show that you can have character anywhere and it's never too late for God to do something big in your life. But remember Joseph's original, how we're introduced to him, is that he was a dreamer. (laughs) And there's something about when God gives you a dream, you get surrounded by other people that are having a dream before your dream gets fulfilled. And how well you help other people fulfill their dreams (laughs) is always attached to your dream. Because what was Joseph's dream? Sheaves of wheat bowing down. It was connected to a harvest. What was coming? Famine. (laughs) Famine affecting the land. So Joseph is in prison. And we have two people that have a dream. A baker and a butler. Now they had done some crime that had put them into prison or didn't serve Pharaoh right. And so they each have a dream. And Joseph interprets their dream. But what we don't understand here, or we don't maybe realize, is that not only did they have a dream, but Pharaoh was having a dream. And because of the character and the path that Joseph took, it put him in positions to operate in his gifting so that his gift would make room for him. But not until his character was in the place that he could prophesy and interpret dreams according to the gift that was placed within him. That our character, it's not like we just need to have character and not have any miraculous things happening. Okay? It's like you got to have two legs to stand. So like we need this miraculous side and the power side. Does the world not need a demonstration of a miraculous God who can do anything and everything, right? But they also need a church that is the pillar and buttress of truth that can have a character to know what it is to do the right thing when nobody's watching, right? So, so, so we need these two legs to stand on. So Joseph is showing us, yes, we've got to have character, but if it's not supernatural, God doesn't get any glory in it, okay? So, so there's this powerful gifting side, too, that's, that's emerging within this womb of prison and within this pit. So this pit and this prison... You know what it is? It's a promotion. It's a promotion. Why? Because you're the solution to the problem. So if you're in the middle of a problem, you just got a promotion. Now God's trying to teach you to operate according to the anointing that's equal to the problem that you're in, not to get out of the problem and think God's not in it. Well, thanks for shouting me down there. I see how it is. You're still mad about the problem. Okay. No, I can preach good up here. I get in that same deal. But Joseph had to be focused on faith. Or he would not have been in a position to serve in the prison. See, Joseph's dream was on hold. But he had the humility to interpret the dreams of others. And that's really the the crux of the matter. Can you serve while you're still in pain? Can you do the right thing when you're hurt? Can you fight for somebody else's dream when it looks like yours got robbed and pulled right out from under you? See, that's that's where the real crossroads that we are in. 
Joseph was able to serve while he was hurting. You ever played, uh, ever had that friend you grew up you're playing basketball on the court and they get fouled or don't hit a shot and they brought the ball and they say, I'm taking my ball and going home. <laughs> and everybody else is like, come on, man. We're... And I feel like we do that so many times. We, we get in a position and we get fouled or we get hit or we get... And we say, I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. But here's the reality you need to understand. It ain't your ball. Daddy gave you that ball. I want to say there was a parable about God giving out some talents. And one guy buried one. And God said, that ain't your talent to bury it's not your ball to take and go home every time you get hurt or every time somebody... Hey, listen, we've been in church long enough. You know what I found out about sheep? Sheep bite. Yeah. And they don't just bite. They'll gnaw on you. They got teeth. Sheep will bite you, man. We've all got stories of where we could have walked away from the church. I love God's people. And I don't put an expectation on them to be perfect because when I look in the mirror, I don't see perfection yet. Matter of fact, it reminds me of what I need to be working on. Because I don't look all the way like Jesus yet. And it's like the great theologian Michael Jackson said I'm starting with the man in the mirror that was a joke if you've ever been in the hospital or had what do the doctors tell you now it used to be don't move just lay there rest and heal up now they'll split you wide open, give you a pillow, tell you to cough and do every kind of thing and get up and start walking. Because the sooner you start moving while you're in pain, the sooner the healing process starts. <laughs> but you can't lay around hurt. You gotta learn what it is to move while you're in pain. So he interprets those dreams and interprets the butler's dream, the baker. He didn't get a favorable word. His was, uh, you're going to die, man. <laughs> it happened. The butler, however, did get the favorable word. And he said, but don't forget me when you get out of here. So the butler had the favorable word, goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh reinstates him. But guess what happened? Forgot him. I think it was a two-year delay. Joseph's in prison. That you can be in prison and still help others get free. Come on. Paul's most powerful letters came from where? <laughs> and he wasn't saying, get me out. He was saying, you get out. You can get out. Yeah. Yeah. That same grace is available today. Yeah. 
if we'll press in. So finally, Pharaoh has this dream, and he's like, man, I just had some bad lasagna last night, and I'm thinking about these seven fat cows and seven skinny cows and seven big ears of corn and seven really withered ears of corn. And it just so troubled Pharaoh. He knew there was something to it, but didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the butler goes, oh, yeah, there was this guy I know two years ago in the pen. And he could interpret dreams. Pharaoh said, bring him up. So you know what I found is that there's a dream in Pharaoh's heart. But it's only the people of God that can answer the dream that's in Pharaoh's heart. I mean, everybody's trying to find some new ideology or some new method or some new thing. I'm going to tell you something. It's only the gospel that hits the human heart. Like we are the solution. Like we are it. <laughs> we don't have to wait for another have the gospel and so he comes and he, he interprets the dream and it puts him in the place of Pharaoh and here's the beautiful thing is is that Pharaoh is like whoa thanks for interpreting that dream I'm going to put you over everything that I have the only person you're going to have to answer to now is me and the Bible says that Pharaoh takes him around all of Egypt in his chariot now, I want you to get this my man just went from being in the penitentiary to Pharaoh's chariot, the most powerful nation in the world. And he says, every time I take him around, everywhere I take him in Egypt, every knee is to bow to Joseph. And Joseph is now being paraded around Egypt with every Egyptian having to take a knee and to bow. That's a turnaround. But what was Joseph's dream? Was it that all Egypt would bow? Was that his family? <laughs> his family would be there. See, I think they misinterpreted that bow, and it was really a hug to come near. And sometimes we misinterpret power structures and we put them in positions to where they, we think they're trying to rule over us when really they're just trying to come near and we're trying to be hugged by those God's put over us and we're interpreted as a bow. So if I was Joseph... This isn't very spiritual. But I'd be like, forget my family, all Egypt's bowing. Let's go. But Joseph didn't settle for the affection of strangers. Because strangers will give you applaud all the time. But it's your family who knows you that you have to contend for. He didn't settle for a lesser dream. But he contended for the original dream that God gave him. And he didn't let the comfort of his circumstance dictate what God had said originally. I want to tell you something. You can't settle for a dream 
Even though you might be in comfortable times, you've got to remember what God said originally, and you've got to contend for that thing. Joseph keeps contending. And so, after the seven good years, here comes some famine. And the famine is worldwide. So guess who comes to town? Joseph's family is looking for food. Joseph's family is coming to see Joseph. And Joseph has a moment with them. But here's the odd thing is that they don't recognize Joseph. (laughs) But he recognizes them. (laughs) Isn't that funny? The people that hurt you hardly ever recognize you. But when you see them coming, you're like, You again. Who are you? (laughs) You know, back in 1982 when you... (laughs) There's something that offense puts us in a position to keep people in their old molds as if they can't change and do something new. It gets us to agree with the report of the devil and say, they're stuck. And they'll never be any different. So Joseph recognizes his brothers and they come in asking for food. Immediately accuses them of being spies and he throws them into prison. You think he was trying to shake them up a little bit? Maybe something. Throws them into prison. Pulls them out. He's playing all these games with them. But he keeps one of the brothers, Simeon. So Simeon, he's staying back. You've got a younger brother named Benjamin, and I want him to come back. They said, oh, man, we can't do that. We've already lost one brother. If we lose this one, dad ain't going to make it. So he sends them back with food in their sacks and money in their sacks, and he sends them gone. And as I'm reading this, I'm starting to get this picture of of the prodigal son. It's like the father is giving the inheritance away because he understands that's going to run out. But there's something that the father puts in us that doesn't run out, and that's his love for us. <laughs> so, that, so that God will give us what we've asked for So that we find out that doesn't last and that runs out. So that when we're left with nothing else but the love of God, we can come back and say, oh God, come please take me back. So Joseph is giving them enough to get back home, knowing that's going to run out and they're going to have to come back. See, Joseph's doing whatever he can to keep them in the room with him. Come on. You ever done that to somebody you like? You try to figure out every kind of way to be where they out. You're like, oh, is this seat? Oh, this seat's open. Okay. Hmm. Where are you going to eat? Oh, that's funny. That's where I was going. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. What are you doing this evening? Oh, my gosh. That's where I was going to the dog park, too. See, when you're after somebody... You put yourself in positions to be where they're at. 
And when you can't, you create a setup to get them in the place where you need them to be. That this whole time, it's a setup from the word go to get them in the same room with Joseph. So they come back out of food, bringing Benjamin with them. Joseph brings them in and he can't even, he can't even bottle up his emotions that he has towards his brothers. <laughs> See, there's something about when you're a person of God that even though that person hurts you, there's just some soft spot in you that just wants to see them be okay. So Joseph has to leave the room and weep, but the brothers can hear him through the walls. That he couldn't keep it together. Something in him that wanted to, but he couldn't. Because his heart was just geared a little bit different. So he appears before them, sends sends them back with all this food to go back. And guess what he does? He sets them up again. He puts his cup in the bag of Benjamins. (laughs) And then says the cops after him to go search them. (laughs) It's a setup. (laughs) So here they are riding out. Open the sacks. Oh my gosh, there's the cup. Did you take the, I didn't take the cup. Did you, you stuck that in my bag. No, I did, I'm telling. And then here comes the police. Woo, our camel. I don't know what was going on. They pull up on them though. Roll up on them. Woo, woo. Or something, probably a guy on the back. Woo, woo, woo. I don't know how they did it. But they knew. Pharaoh's troops come in. The Egyptian troopers. He said, what do you got there in those bags? <laughs> oh, just some grain. <laughs> Let me take a look. Keep your mouth shut if you know what's good for you. <laughs> ah, Joseph's cup. You guys are you're in trouble. See, Joseph wanted to just bless them and send them off. But something in his heart (laughs) created a scenario to get them back in the room where he could show them mercy. After all that hurt, but after all that looking at God, he had a heart just like God. (laughs) After every pit, he learning to look up, he, he began to imitate the face of God, but then he also imitated the heart of God. And here he comes, creating another scenario where they come back in the room. But this time he can't hold it together. <laughs> was a setup. Was a setup. Genesis 45, verse 1. Joseph was no longer able to control himself before all his attendants. So he cried out, make everyone go out from my presence. No one remained with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept loudly. The Egyptians heard it and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. 
Is my father still alive? His brothers could not answer him because they were dumbfounded before him. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be upset and do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you <laughs> to preserve your life. For these past two years, there's been famine in the land. And for five more, there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it is not you who sent me here, <laughs> but God. Do you see what he did? He kept quit looking at the distraction and kept looking at God. Because there was a plan that was overarching in the story of God that was over what seemed to be the narrative on the earth. That there was a salvation plan that God had planned and had arced. And because one man with 12 brothers was faithful, two nations were preserved, Egypt and Israel, in whom the Messiah would come. Don't you ever ever belittle your life and your faithfulness unto God because your life could be preserving a nation because what God did then he still does now could be preserving family just by your faithfulness God sent me ahead of you to preserve you on the earth to save your lives by great deliverance so now it is not you who sent me here but God he has made me an advisor to Pharaoh Lord over all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt now go up to my father quickly and tell him this is what your son Joseph says God has made me Lord of all Egypt come down to me do not delay you will live in the land of Goshen and you will be near me you your children your grandfather your flocks your herds and everything you have I will provide you with food there because there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you would become poor, you, your household, and everyone who belongs to you. You and your brother Benjamin. Can, so, do you see this is a lot to come out of someone's heart? But instead of rehearsing how he was going to cuss them out, Joseph was rehearsing how he was going to bless them when they showed up. <laughs> yeah, three people agree with me. Uh, you and my brother Benjamin can certainly see with your own eyes that I really am the one who speaks to you. So tell my father about all my honor in Egypt and about everything you've seen, but bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw himself on the neck of his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Then he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. After this, his brothers talked with him. Well, that was a lot of weeping and talking to finally get them to talk. What a heart in Joseph. See, Joseph had the father's heart because he kept looking at the father's face. God put a measure of faith inside of each one of us. It's because he knew at some point you would run into famine. And that that faith would be a guiding light to come back home to Jesus. So if you're in famine this morning, you're in a good place.
because there's only one way to go, and that's back home. (laughs) It's back home. Don't be mad because God put a cup in your bag and you got a charge. That was to set you down for a while where you could find him. So you wouldn't listen, so God had to sit you down to keep you in the room. (laughs) Don't get mad because your dream didn't come to pass and God put a cup in your bag and you had to come back. He had to keep you in the room because he wasn't done with you. He was still loving on you. Don't you get mad when God didn't answer your prayers. He was just putting a cup in your bag to keep you in the room because he's not going to bless you to lose you. Put you in the room today. <laughs> Aren't you grateful? Yeah. Would you stand to your feet? God, we just lift our hands all over this place. God, anybody we need to forgive, God, we give them to you. Because <laughs> it looked like they sent us here, but at the end of the day, it was you sent us here. That God, you go to great lengths to put your children in the exact place that they need to be. And it looks like a cup in our bag that gets us arrested sometimes. But it keeps pulling us back to a room with a king that loves us. So God, we give to you every adversary. God, we forgive whether they change or not. It ain't about them changing. It's about me being right before you. <laughs> and forgiveness doesn't mean I get back in some toxic relationship. It means I'm letting them go to not hinder my destiny and the things that you have for me. <sighs> so God, you got us in the room. And you had to do some crazy things to get us there. Some people did some crazy things to put us there. But that's okay. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. (laughs) God, you meant for good. So we leave here today knowing (laughs) that all things work together for the good. To those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And he who has not withheld his son from us, how will he not freely give us all things? What shall we say to these things? (laughs) If God be for us, who can be against us? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Give somebody a high five, tell them you love them. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock.